Chapter Six of The Struggles of Brown, Jones, and Robinson by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. It is our opening day. And now the day had arrived on which the firm was to try the result of their efforts. It is believed that the 15th of May in that year will not easily be forgotten in the neighborhood of Bishopsgate Street. It was on this day that the experiment of the men in armor was first tried, and the four cavaliers, all mounted and polished as bright as brass, were stationed in the front of the house by nine o'clock. There they remained till the doors and shop windows were opened, which ceremony actually took place at twelve. It had been stated to the town on the preceding day by a man dressed as fame with a long horn, who had been driven about in a gilt car, that this would be done at ten. But peeping through the iron shutters at that hour, the gentlemen of the firm saw that the crowd was as yet by no means great. So a huge poster was put up outside each window, postponed till eleven, immense pressure of goods in the back premises. At eleven this was done again, but at twelve the house was really opened. At that time the car with fame and the long horn was stationed in front of the men in armor, and there really was a considerable concourse of people. This won't do, Mr. Brown, a policeman had said. The people are half across the street. Success, success, shouted Mr. Robinson from the first landing on the stairs. He was busy correcting the proofs of their second set of notices to the public. Shall we open, George? whispered Mr. Brown, who was rather flurried. Yes, you may as well begin, said he. It must be done sooner or later and then he retired quietly to his work. He had allowed himself to be elated for one moment at the interference of the police, but after that he remained above, absorbed in his work, or if not so absorbed, disdaining to mix with the crowd below. For there, in the center of the shop, leaning on the arm of Mr. William Brisket, stood Mary Ann Brown, as regards grouping, there was certainly some propriety in the arrangements made for receiving the public. When the iron shutters were wound up, the young men of the establishment stood in a row behind one of the counters, and the young women behind the other. They were very nicely got up for the occasion. The girls were all decorated with magenta-colored ribbons, and the young men with magenta neckties. Mr. Jones had been very anxious to charge them for these articles in their wages, but Mr. Brown's good feeling had prevented this. No, Jones, no. The master always finds the livery. There had been something in the words, master and livery, which had tickled the ears of his son-in-law, and so the matter had been allowed to pass by. In the center of the shop stood Mr. Brown, very nicely dressed in a new suit of black. That bald head of his, and the way he had of rubbing his hands together, were not ill-calculated to create respect. But on such occasions it was always necessary to induce him to hold his tongue. 
Mr. Brown never spoke effectively unless he had been first moved almost to tears. It was now his special business to smile, and he did smile. On his right hand stood his partner and son-in-law, Jones, mounted quite irrespectively of expense. His waistcoat and cravat may be said to have been gorgeous, and from his silky locks there came distilled a mixed odor of musk and patchouli. About his neck also the colors of the house were displayed, and in his hand he waved a magenta handkerchief. His wife was leaning on his arm, and on such an occasion as this even Robinson had consented to her presence. She was dressed from head to foot in magenta. She wore a magenta bonnet and magenta stockings, and it was said of her that she was very careful to allow the latter article to be seen. The only beauty of which Sarah Jane could boast rested in her feet and ankles. But on the other side of Mr. Brown stood a pair for whose presence there George Robinson had not expressed his approbation, and as to one of whom it may be said that better taste would have been shown on all sides had he not thus intruded himself. Mr. Brisket had none of the rights of proprietorship in that house, nor would it be possible that he should have as long as the name of the firm contained within itself that of Mr. Robinson. Had Brown, Jones, and Brisket agreed to open shop together, it would have been well for Brisket to stand there with that magenta shawl round his neck and waving that magenta towel in his hand. But as it was, what business had he there? What business has he there? Ah, tell me that. What business has he there? said Robinson to himself as he sat moodily in the small back room upstairs. Ah, tell me that. What business has he there? Did not the old man promise that she should be mine? Is it for him that I have done all? For him that I have collected the eager crowd of purchasers that throng the hall of commerce below, which my taste has decorated? Or for her? Have I done this for her? The false one. But what wrecks it? She shall live to know that had she been constant to me, she might have sat almost upon a throne. And then he rushed again to his work, and with eager pen struck off those well-known lines about the house, which some short time after ravished the ears of the metropolis. In a following chapter of these memoirs it will be necessary to go back for a while to the domestic life of some of the persons concerned, and the fact of Mr. Brisket's presence at the opening of the house will then be explained. In the meantime, the gentle reader is entreated to take it for granted that Mr. William Brisket was actually there, standing on the left hand of Mr. Brown, waving high above his head a huge magenta cotton handkerchief, and that on his other arm was hanging Marianne Brown, leaning quite as closely upon him as her sister did upon the support which was her own. For one moment George Robinson allowed himself to look down upon the scene, and he plainly saw that clutch of the hand upon the sleeve. "'Big as he is,' said Robinson to himself, "'pistols would make us equal, but the huge ox has no sense of chivalry.' 
it was unfortunate for the future intrinsic comfort of the firm that that member of it who was certainly not the least enterprising should have found himself unable to join in the ceremony of opening the house but nevertheless it must be admitted that that ceremony was imposing marianne brown was looking her best and dressed as she was in the correctest taste of the day wearing of course the colors of the house it was not unnatural that all eyes should be turned on her what a big man that robinson is someone in the crowd was heard to observe yes that huge lump of human clay that called himself william brisket the butcher of aldersgate street was actually taken on that occasion for the soul and life and salt of an advertising house of mr william brisket it may here be said that he had no other idea of trade than that of selling at so much per pound the beef which he had slaughtered with his own hands but that ceremony was imposing ladies and gentlemen said those five there assembled speaking as it were with one voice we bid you welcome to magenta house nine times nine is eighty-one never forget that robinson had planned the words but he was not there to assist at their utterance ladies and gentlemen again we bid you welcome to magenta house and then they retired backwards down the shop allowing the crowd to press forward and all packed themselves for a while into mr brown's little room at the back it was smart said mr brisket and it went off uncommon well said jones shaking the scent from his head all the better too because that chap wasn't there he's a clever fellow said brisket and you shouldn't speak against him behind his back jones who did it all and who couldn't have done it if he hadn't been here when these words were afterwards told to george robinson he forgave mr brown a great deal the architect acting under the direction of mr robinson had contrived to arch the roof supporting it on five semicircular iron girders which were left there visible to the eye and which were of course painted magenta on the foremost of these was displayed the name of the firm, Brown, Jones, and Robinson. On the second, the name of the house, Magenta House. On the third, the number, nine times nine is eighty-one. On the fourth, an edict of trade against which retail houses in the haberdashery line should never sin. Terms ready cash. And on the last, the special principle of our trade, five and a half per cent profit the back of the shop was closed in with magenta curtains through which the bald head of mr brown would not unfrequently be seen to emerge and on each side of the curtains there stood a tall mirror reaching up to the very ceiling upon the whole the thing certainly was well done but the contractor the man who did the work was called the contractor the contractor says that he will want the rest of his money in two months said mr brown whining he would not have wanted any for the next twelve months answered robinson if you had not insisted on paying him those few hundreds you can find fault with the bill you know said jones 
and delay it almost any time by threatening him with a lawyer. And then he will put a distress on us, said Mr. Brown. And after that we'll be very happy to take our bill at six months, answered Robinson, and so that matter was ended for the time. Those men in armor stood there the whole of that day, and Fame in his gilded car used his trumpet up and down Bishopsgate Street with such effect that the people living on each side of the street became very sick of him. Fame himself was well acted, at sixteen shillings the day, and when the triumphal car remained still, stood balanced on one leg with the other stretched out behind, in a manner that riveted attention. But no doubt his horn was badly chosen. Mr. Robinson insisted on a long, single-tubed instrument, saying that it was classical, but a cornet a piston would have given more pleasure. A good deal of money was taken on that day, but certainly not so much as had been anticipated. Very many articles were asked for, looked at, and then not purchased, but this, though it occasioned grief to Mr. Brown, was certainly not of much moment. That the things should be talked of, if possible mentioned in the newspapers, was the object of the firm. I would give my bond for two thousand pounds, said Robinson, to get a leader in the Jupiter. The first article demanded over the counter was a real African monkey muff, very superior, with long fine hair. The ships which are bringing them have not yet arrived from the coast, answered Jones, who luckily stepped up at that moment. They are expected in the docks tomorrow. End of chapter 6 Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina